Hi, and welcome to the next instalment of SciFlix Radio on Tune FM. Um, I'm Marissa, the host, and today I'm sitting down with Rachel Parsons, the director of NIRAM, to talk about the event we've got coming up on Thursday, uh, Night at the Museum, uh, 6 p.m. on Thursday, the 25th of August. Uh, thanks for coming, Rachel. Hi, Marissa. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so this isn't the first time we've spoken on Tune FM. Last time we chatted on Tune FM, you were interviewing me. Yeah, for my podcast, What the Art. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we had a great chat. Do you still run What the Art? No, well, we haven't really done it since the cyclone because everything oh. kind of got shut mm. down. So we're on a bit of a hiatus, but yeah. uh, I'd be keen to bring it back at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, let's get that back. Mm. Um, so I guess we can kind of even lift off from some of the things that we were chatting about in that discussion mm-hmm. almost. So it felt like that one was too short. So we can yeah. unpack more <laughs> today, which would be nice. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so usually the format is um, I want to hear about the um, the person that we're interviewing. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got to being a curator at NIRAM? Sure. Well, I'm currently the director at NIRAM. Um, and Sorry. I... No, no, that's okay. Uh, just my curator might be listening. Listening and she'd be like, I'm the curator. Oh, that was just my yeah. tongue slip. <laughs> Rachel is the director of NIRAM. Yeah. That is a very important job. <laughs> um, so my my current role is very much about um, you know managing the overall creative and operational strategy of the New England Regional Art Museum. Um, we are a very significant regional museum. We have over 5,000 artworks in our collection, six galleries. We do 30-plus um, exhibitions per year. So it's a, a big program, um, but a really fantastic program. Uh, privilege to be able to um, to to run that and to work with the team at NIRAM. But I started my arts career with the uh, hopeful intention of being a professional artist or an art teacher. And I've never actually been either of those things. <laughs> um, I did go to art school. So I studied a BFA um, or Bachelor of Fine Arts at QUT in mm-hmm. Brisbane. Um, and I did uh, my honours year and um, uh, loved it. But unfortunately, I... Uh, now I can say with a level of certainty that I actually had very little artistic talent. <laughs> yeah, it's very sad. I was very good at uh, talking about art, mm-hmm. writing about art. Um, uh, clearly, I had a, a very significant passion for it. Um, but uh, making art didn't really turn out to be my forte. But when I was at university, I started curating student yep. exhibitions. So part of um, one of their, like the visual arts student group mm-hmm. um, and found that it allowed me to have um, creativity yeah. and then combine that with you know, my love of spreadsheets and logistics and organization and, and being a control freak. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's where the curating came from. And by the time I um, finished my master's, I did a master's of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, I basically wasn't making anything yeah. myself anymore. It was very much focused on curating and how we could um, do exhibitions and programs that diversified yeah. audiences mm-hmm. um, and would bring people who didn't traditionally go to an art exhibition to an art exhibition, um, specifically at the time looking at digital technology and how 
they could be used to um, sort of connect with people in different ways. Um, and so from there, you know, number of curatorial jobs um, in, in Brisbane. And I came to Naram to be the curator in 2016 and did that for a couple of years. And then when the previous director left to actually take a position at UNE, uh, I took his job and now wow. am the director. It's so funny. I love hearing about people's pathways and how they kind of fall. It seems to be that everyone ends up following their nose in some way or another. Like you yeah. can start out with a really grand plan and then you always get like sidetracked or taken off on a different pathway. Yeah, and- I always feel like I took actually a very linear sequential pathway, but in a direction I never actually expected. So in some ways it was very boom, boom, boom. It was high school, undergrad, honours, master's, job. But the job that I had was not the job that I ever thought I was going to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I guess the consistent thing for me has been art. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And what year did you finish at QT? Uh, so I think I finished um, my undergraduate in 2005. Right, okay. Um, and so I think I was all done sort of 2008, 2009. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I, we worked out a few years ago that we just almost overlapped yeah. at QT because yeah, after yeah. school, I'm from Brisbane too, and after school I went to QT to study visual art. And I didn't work it out until years and years later and I was here at um, UNE on my postdoc doing paleontology and I was going through some old letters from a a friend, Alex Wheeland, Mm -hmm. and Alex had sent me a letter with a flyer. She she and I studied, well, we went to school together and then we also studied visual art at QUT for a bit and she sent me a flyer of a drawing exhibition that she was in and at the time I was like, oh, that's nice. Like, that's cool. She's in an exhibition. And then when I looked at the brochure again later, I saw on the bottom curated by Rachel Parsons. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. damn, I know her. Like, <laughs> how small is this world? It's sometimes? a teeny tiny world. And I love the fact that you started in visual arts. I know a lot of people who, you know, have, have gone through and done sort of a Bachelor of Fine Arts or started a Bachelor of Fine Arts. And um, not many of us necessarily ended up as professional artists, but I think there's something really, um, you know, grounding in having that creative training. I think it helps you in whatever um, direction your life kind of takes you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we chatted about when we were on your podcast. Yeah. Like science and art seem like they're, they're two different things, but they're both, you know, people trying to make sense of the world that we live in and communicate about it. Yeah, asking big questions, trying to figure, um, you know, some really significant things out and to try and um, provide a platform for for people to, you know, figure out who they are and where this world is going and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think artists and scientists are really um, interconnected in that way. Yeah, it's it's a Venn diagram, right? And the circles, they're not separate. They definitely overlap, that's for sure. Definitely. And I think that in, in my work as a scientist I definitely draw on the skills that I learned doing visual art even if I don't like don't really remember much of my (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure and especially the training of well they were always encouraging us to go to exhibitions go and be part of the community go and see things um, and work with groups and collaborate with people and 
those kinds of attitudes um, yeah. are really important in what I do. Yeah, I think that's really important in the arts. And I think probably in, in a lot of fields, that idea that your work has to be part of a bigger picture. You know, it's constantly finding inspiration and influences all around you. And in that way, it means that you're always building and contributing to the the bigger yeah. story. Yeah. And that's exactly what science is. Yeah. You know, science has come out of a vacuum either. You know, you have to build on what has come before. And you're, you know, I've never published by myself, mm. not yet anyway. I've always worked with a team and that's collaboration. Absolutely. Know? So, yeah. yeah. I think that's probably a great segue to talk about the Art of Nature exhibition that you guys have just had at NIRAM. So, um can you tell me about that exhibition, especially what the um, inspiration was? Where did it come from? Sure. I mean, like so many great expo- exhibitions, it came out of, um, uh, you know, just sitting down and bantering around ideas and, you know, having a coffee with a, with a group of people, That's essentially. That's science gets started as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, coffee or in a bar, yeah. one or the other. <laughs> um, so we were having... We have a partnership with with yep. UNE. You guys are, um, you know, major sponsors of Neuron, which we appreciate very much. Thank you so much, UNE. Um, but part of that relationship is finding ways to to collaborate for how how can Neuron help UNE. Um, maybe get their collections seen or mm-hmm. understood more broadly. Um, there's lots of fantastic people here working on amazing ideas, but sometimes, you know, you're, you're stuck on the the hill at the university and maybe no one else actually knows about some of these fantastic things that are happening. So part of our job is to come up with ways to connect to different audiences and to be a bit of a public-facing mm-hmm. um, way of communicating those. So we were sitting around having a coffee thinking about um, – Um, you know, possibilities for a joint exhibition. And traditionally, you know, we've done a number of these exhibitions and it's always focused on the art collection. Mm -hmm. So UNE has a great art collection as well. There's a lot of artists that are both in the Neurem collection and the UNE collection. So, you know, we found some great ways to to pair those things off. But we had become aware of the fact that UNE actually has – several really diverse, incredibly interesting collections. You have an herborium, you have international musical instruments, you know, you have so many things here. Um, And so for this exhibition... Um, we thought it would be great to focus predominantly on your natural history collection um, and your antiquities mm-hmm. collection. And how could we find some kind of way to show some of the super interesting things that you guys have here um, and combine it with works that we have at Naram? Mm-hmm. And so we took kind of, um, when I say we, uh, it was largely um, my curator, Belinda Hungerford, and our assistant curator, um, Sarah. Sarah Redditon, who actually also uh, studies and works at UNE. So she was, you know, a key person because she works with the Natural History Collection. Exactly. Um, And knew all the fun things that uh, were here. Um, and so we thought what would be fun was taking sort of a, um, a Wunderkammer cabinet of curiosities yeah. kind of approach, which is really one of the... I do remember that from my study, um, my time studying art. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually one of the first kinds of 
um, museum displays that you know existed. Uh, in th- you know now things can be quite separate. Sure. But um, sort of uh, in the 18th century, mm-hmm. um, this idea of showing off your collections was very eclectic. Yeah. So people would have uh, exotic plants that had come from overseas, shells that they had collected, uh, maybe a skull that they had found, as well as their artworks, um, an interesting piece of glass. And they would arrange these things um, in a, you know, a sort of aesthetic, eclectic, appealing display um, that just had all of these oddities and points mm-hmm. of uh, points of interest um, and some of these wonder cannabis became incredibly famous and were you know extensive entire essentially museums yeah. and so a lot of them were private collections it's I mean it's a little bit of a um, colonial practice it's yeah you know linked quite strongly to um, you know, expeditions overseas yeah. and bringing back taking the things. taking things, bringing back these exotic, mm-hmm. um, you know, items. And of course, now um, there's a big push to, you know, repatriation yes, and revisiting whether or not those sort of practices were ethical. Um, you know, our exhibition focused much more on, you know, local things yeah. and and that kind of stuff. We, you know, we, we didn't have any busts from Greek or (laughs) Greece or anything like that, Um, but took the more the aesthetic principle of combining these things. It's definitely possible to still give people that feeling of an inspiration of of the natural world in a Wunderkama without um, that colonialistic sort of side of it as well. As long as you acknowledge and know where the the provenance of some of this stuff has come from and that's the the feeling that you got from the art of nature exhibition was of that just being overwhelmed by this inspirational feeling of the natural world yeah that sense of wonder yeah that's right absolutely people enjoyed the exhibitions so much and all kinds of people um you know one of the things with with art galleries is if you're not into art you know, perhaps you don't think that that space is for you. Right. But uh, having this broader view of, mm-hmm. of collecting and collections meant that it opened um, it up to a whole range of other mm-hmm. people. Children yeah. loved it. Um, historians loved it. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a lot of people from the sciences, from mm-hmm. UNE, come and, and see it and be quite delighted with the really interesting relationships yes. that the curators set up. Yeah. So having um, the displays of, of shells, but then also having those paintings Beautiful that paintings featured them. With them. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah, yeah. So just a really nice conversation between object and, and painting. And um, yeah, I, I saw a lot of people walking around with their mouths open yeah. and their eyes wide. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think there was something, there's something about displaying scientific objects with art, art like that that um is it's different obviously from the way that we now display things in museums and that nowadays because we have a really good understanding of how to classify things mm. and we put them in order there's boxes and categories for everything and there's something about displaying them in the way that you did that sort of it takes all that away, like the sort of elitism of modern science, and it, it encourages you to look at these objects with like that childlike wonder and curiosity, and that it means that it's for everybody. Absolutely, you know? I think that that aspect of curiosity is is key, and that idea that there's 
no real hierarchy yeah. between the glass bottle, the pinned insect, and the $200,000 artwork. You know, right. it's, it, it all has... Um, you know, it all has something curious about yeah, it. It there's can hit this, you in the same way almost. Exactly. Like, and there's amazing beauty in these yeah. natural things. Um, and I think that, you know, when you have too much information, sometimes the the yeah. magic of those things can... It disappears a bit. Yeah, it disappears. Whereas this allows you to sort of um, uh, to see and maybe um, create a sense of knowing and understanding mm-hmm. without it being bogged down too much in information. Yeah. I think that's where inspiration comes, right? Mm. Like, and you can be um, uh, open to just being inspired by yeah. by the experience. And I think that, you know, even though we do know so much now, or at least some people know so, yeah. so much and, you know, and you can know a lot about a mm-hmm. very specific thing, there is still something really amazing about seeing um, a, a whale bone and trying to understand how big these kind yeah. of objects are or these um, creatures are and, you know, how the world actually works um, and, you know, how we've communicated that or how we've recorded that yeah. through through art. So it was, yeah, it was such a fantastic yeah. exhibition and a real pleasure to um, collaborate with UNE in this way. We did some awesome public programs yeah. with it as Tell well. Tell us about the programs. Actually, I just want to note, <laughs> note the um, – the combination of a James Gleason in the back corner with a stonefish oh underneath my God. it, which was absolutely perfect. I it loved was that so much. A <laughs> magic moment. I, I nicknamed him Grumpy Fish. <laughs> yeah, Grumpy Fish in front of James Gleason. And if you don't know James Gleason, he's kind of like if um, Francis Bacon and Salvador Dali had a nightmare baby. <laughs> Uh, so very he's visceral. He's, he's Australian. Australian surrealist. Yeah, it's surrealist and it's quite visceral yeah. and um, you know quite uh, bodily yeah, in a way, yeah. but also kind of a landscape. Um, yeah, and it's pairing like it with Grumpy Fish. Upon, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Grumpy Fish just sitting in front of him with this expression. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was. That was a stroke of genius. Stroke of genius, exactly. <laughs> okay, tell us about the public programs that we're associated with. Yeah, we we ran some amazing things. Um, some of them were very ambient, so we did, um, you know, Sunday sketching sessions, yeah, cool. so people could come in and uh, pick an object or a skeleton or a painting that they were inspired by and make their own work and uh, we had heaps of people come through um, that and just be a little bit more active within the space which was wonderful one of our favorite programs is that we invited um, a number of UNE scientists uh, including yourself who uh, (laughs) who who do field work and so it's called stories from the field and I mean we essentially invited uh, you all to tell us your horror stories as Essentially, I mean, because there's this kind of perception now that, you know, science can be quite sterile Mm -hmm. and um, you guys are sitting in labs and you're on computers and you're researching. So it was sort of really nice. Pipetting stuff. (laughs) I've never pipetted anything. (laughs) So it was really nice to have these really diverse, exciting stories of, um, you know, our scientists from UNE all around the world doing amazing things, but also having these intense horror stories. It kind of puts the um, Indiana Jones back yeah. into the, the science story kind of thing. <laughs> Intrepid explorer kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Was that idea um, birthed over a beer or something too? I think well, somewhere. yeah. <laughs> After the opening, so we had the, 
we had the opening night and um, my myself and Belinda and Sarah from the curatorial team um, went out for dinner afterwards with some of the scientists yeah. that, um, you know, Carl who'd curated mm-hmm. and, and some of the other scientists that had come to the opening. And at one stage, the, the evening really turned into who had the worst snake story. <laughs> like the, you know, the sc- scariest, most intense encounter with a snake in the wild. And so, you know, for the art curators and, and you know, our, our day-to-day jobs don't involve stakes right. or spiders or, you know, possible encounters with tigers or, you know, this kind of stuff. You know, the, the artwork doesn't generally bite. Um, so we were just kind of wide-eyed and we couldn't get enough of this. We're just like, tell us more. And, you know, the um, the Batman was there. Yeah. And we're like, tell us your stories about bats. And we were just really engaged. And so we just thought we just need to take this and make it public yeah. <laughs> because everyone else would just um, – you know, really get a kick out of these things that happen when you're, you know, you're there looking for rocks or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but you come across all of this other yeah. um, amazing stuff. Yeah, my story was about nearly dying in the field. I mean, hilarious, right? <laughs> it was so <laughs> hilarious. Absolutely. So much laughing. People had such a good time. Uh, there was that, you know, it was horrifying. <laughs> I think that well. but, oh, I came away from doing that thinking, oh, we should do this more often because it really did, like, one, it was super entertaining. And two, the people that were t- speaking, somehow these these scientists were such natural entertainers. Absolutely. Telling these stories. And it's wonderful to have like a PowerPoints with these the slides and the pictures of all of the terrible things that happened to them. <laughs> <laughs> and and also the audience I think really appreciated the like it, the diversity of what how science is done, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, these sort of wild stories. It was a really, really cool initiative. I want to do it, it was, again. Yeah, it was so fun. And we would we would definitely be happy to host something again because, um, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the key things for me at Naram, um, you know, since I've been the director, is really about diversifying engagement. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes back to my, my, my master's, yeah. you know, work. Why do people go to yeah. museums and why do they not? And, and some of it is just people are generally not that interested necessarily mm-hmm. in art. And I mm. think that... You know, art museums now have this social responsibility to be these cultural hubs. So anything that we can do that connects with people in a slightly different way. I mean, it's still culture. It's still storytelling. It's still all of those kinds of things. Um, but, yeah, if I can get all of the, um, you know, the the people who are interested in weird science disasters from the fieldwork coming, you know, we, we love that. And people had such a great time. Yeah. Um, and I think, once again, it's also not what you always see. Uh, from the sciences mm-hmm. you know it's it's not your academic paper yeah. it's not in this peer-reviewed journal yeah. it's these um you know unedited stories yeah. that kind of come from the the heart and this sort of experience so I think also all the scientists had a really great we time have, we don't often have a platform to tell that those yeah. stories like other than like telling our mates at the pub or something <laughs> like that you know and like yeah the some of the things that we've done they're really just things that we tell each other. And, and I think, you know, there's there's that, um, you know, steam's become a big thing, trying yeah, to sure. encourage people to, um, you know, think of the sciences mm-hmm. and to, to still go into scientific work. And I think that uh, programs like that, if anyone thought that science was boring, yeah. 
completely <laughs> flipped that on the head because it was the Indiana Jones, I don't know, Jurassic Park, that kind of adventure disaster yeah. movie. Yeah. It was amazing. I just seeing the passion as well. Like Deb Bauer, there was a picture of her, I think, in Carl's, um, one of Carl, in Carl's presentation of her, like with a, a jaguar scat on a stick or something like this. And the look on her face was pure joy. She was so excited. Um, Yeah. Just wonderful. And I I don't do, I don't do biology. I'm a geo and a paleo. So I don't go to the jungles and things like that where they go. So it was super exciting for me to hear all that stuff too. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I think it really, once again, it really connected back to that curiosity and that sense of wonder. It was like for that night, these, serious important <laughs> scientists with children running around <laughs> collecting frogs doing stuff they weren't supposed yeah. to be doing um and it was really joyous i did i did check firstly if there was a representative of UNHNS <laughs> in the room <laughs> before we began there yeah. was none yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to put a disclaimer yeah that's right <laughs> otherwise i probably wouldn't be allowed to do field work ever again yeah <laughs> i think that was one of the questions how do you guys yeah. stay insured <laughs> and how have you updated your will? Like these stories so, were yeah, amazing. I was like, that is a good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, any, were there any other um, public outreach we, stuff? We also worked with UNE Discovery oh, and yeah. did some fantastic programs for for kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alexis Rickards, who's our educations officer, she had so many school groups through, and they were so thrilled with this exhibition because I think once again, um, it was something unexpected that mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily they haven't seen that at um Niran before and having that dual focus on the natural world and art and creativity and there were, I mean it was just really cool yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah to sum it up yeah yeah it was just it was just really really cool and again for everyone you know like the school yeah. the school groups would have just like lapped it up I exactly think. we did have to we always had to have like an extra person in there there was a um an emu skeleton oh yeah and he kind kind of protrudes off his uh, uh, base a little mm-hmm. bit. And so we always had someone in there to protect the emu because <laughs> uh, we're just afraid that someone was going to bump into him. So there's always fun things about, like, the logistics of these yeah, kinds absolutely. of exhibitions. <laughs> um, but so worth it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Would you do it again? Would absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Though, I mean, once again, we're interested in looking at some of these other yeah, collections. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, the herbarium the and things like that. Yeah. That would be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, right, so we'll much potential. Absolutely. <laughs> and I guess um, inspired by the Art of Nature exhibition, we're going to do this Cyflix event on Thursday night with Night at the Museum, Yay! which was such a great suggestion. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really happy we can screen that. And you're going to um, be, well, we're going to do a panel discussion this time yeah. with the curators from, well, Niram. Yep. And also the Natural History Museum and Antiquities Museum here at UNE. So yeah. it will be really wonderful to hear the different perspectives of people curating objects and all of these different kinds of curatorial and museum settings. So yeah. Really, really good. We're going to talk a little bit about how we take care of these mm-hmm. collections because um, they all have really different, um, you know, needs to take care of them. Taking care of an artwork is very different from mm-hmm. taking care of, you yeah. know, boxes of insects and, and those kinds of things. Yep. Um, and, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about how you, you know, take these things from the storeroom into um, an exhibition setting, some of the, you know, things that you need to consider. We will also delve into the very important question of do these things come alive after dark. Um, and that brings me to my final question. So, Rachel, if 
Um, the Niram collection came to life. Mm. <laughs> wow. What can you imagine that scenario being like? Who's popping off the walls and doing what, r- rampaging around in Niram at night time? I feel like we have a we have a portrait of Howard Hinton, who is sort of the, the patron, you know, our first patron who donated yeah. so much of this artwork. So I could see him popping out and, you know, trying to keep control of his collection. <laughs> and then we actually have a, a life-scale... Um, sculpture of a rhino so I'm sure he's running around uh, knocking into everything but I do love the idea of all the pictures in Hinton coming live because most of them are um, you know people and beautiful Mm -hmm. landscapes but I could imagine them all sort of coming out for you know a a very tasteful sort of soiree yeah you know I can see that too that's the kind of that's the caliber of that exhibition that's for sure exactly it would be very nice actually very nice I feel like it's you know it's it's sort of like a high tea situation Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should try and stay over at Niram one night. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. To see what actually happens. Um, but yeah, but I, I just feel like Hinton would be in charge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, we'll wrap it up. Thanks so much, Rachel, for coming in and chatting today. And we'll see you and the rest of the guys on Thursday night at, at the Belgrave. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. <laughs>